My name is Jim Whittle. I'm glad to be here with you. Sherry and I are glad to be here. I am the India director for Equipping Leaders International. You should be familiar with that some because Mike and I serve together in India. And so uh, he and I serve on that team together. I've been a PCA pastor for almost 30 years. And my the last church I served was uh, in Douglasville, Chapel Hill Presbyterian. They merged with Villarica. Uh, last year, so it's not there anymore, but uh, I've been uh, serving in India for over 10 years, seven years with equipping leaders. Um, Sherry and I have been married to get, uh, for, what, 38 years in August, and we have uh, five children, and only crazy people have five children, and we have seven grandchildren, and the seventh turns one tomorrow, so we appreciate the invitation to lunch. But there's a big lunch at our house that we have to skedaddle and get to. We've got about 40 people coming over to celebrate a one-year-old's birthday. That's a little crazy. I don't think he'll remember. And what we're doing in India, um, we love the fact that you're a partnering church and supporting Mike. We are uh, training leaders. We train trainers. And so this year in India, our team will... Uh, we're hosting about 36 or 38 total training events, and uh, we'll train about 600 people face-to-face, -face, and then those 600 pastors and trainers are responsible for training about 25,000 others, and so then that the, they're responsible for about a million and a half believers. So through network development and training leaders, so we're having an impact in about the lives of about a million and a half believers. It's a, there's probably 70 to 100 million Christians in India. There's 1.3 billion people. So there's a lot of people. There's people everywhere. And uh, we're praying, I'm praying for 500 million Christians in India by 2050. I would be 90 at that point. I don't know that I'll still be traveling to India, but it seems like a good round number, 500 million by 2050. So you can join me in that prayer. 100,000 people a day come to faith around the world. I don't know if you knew that. At least 100,000. It could be 150,000. That's 40-plus million people a year. In order to deal, in order to disciple 100,000 new believers every day. If you do the math, we need 30,000 new churches every month of 100 planted around the world. So that's what we're doing in India. You can pray for us. We covet your prayers. This morning we're in uh, Philippians 1. You can turn in your Bibles there. Philippians 1, we're going to start in verse 12. Now, I don't know if you've heard this story, but maybe you heard the story about the farmer in West Georgia who had been on his farm for about 30 years, and he started looking at his farm through critical eyes. And, and everywhere he looked, it just looked like maintenance. You know how your property goes through that cycle where all of a sudden it needs a lot of maintenance. And everywhere he looked, he saw something wrong. So he decided it would be a good time to sell and get out. And so he hired a realtor who came out to look over the farm and prepare an ad for Zillow. And so, uh, but, but before uploading the ad to Zillow, the realtor called and, uh, the farmer to, to read the proposed ad over the telephone and make sure the farmer approved of all the things that were going online. And so the ad spoke about a great location, 
and a well-maintained house and, and sturdy barns and, and lush pasture lands and a beautiful pond filled with fish, fertile soil, and a great view. And so the farmer listened carefully and then he said, read that to me again slowly. So the realtor read it again, a great location, well-maintained house, sturdy barns, lush pasture lands, a beautiful pond filled with fish, fertile soil, and a great view. Finally, the farmer responded, don't put that ad on Zillow. I've always wanted to live in a place like that. I think I'll just stay right where I am. You know, that, that's the way life is. You can look at your life from two perspectives. You can see all that's well, or you can see all that's wrong. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. As we experience disappointment and struggles, the question is, how do we respond in the midst of struggle? And, and when there's roadblocks in the way, or apparent roadblocks, or, or there's great discouragement or disappointment how do we respond to what God's doing in our lives? Well, here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Let's read it together. Hear the word of God. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Well, it's a short passage, but it's rich. And so I have three things that I wanted to share with you this morning, three things about the gospel that I wanted you to see. That's gospel circumstances, gospel expansion, and gospel encouragement. So first is gospel circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I love being around brand new Christians, especially ones who have run from Christ for a long time and have now been found. And uh, they're still so rough around the edges. Uh, their life is messy, but they have infectious joy. They're, they're just happy to know Jesus. And, and, and I love hanging around religious folks who who've, have gone to church for years and after years of striving in, a, in a, some kind of legalistic church and trying to get better, they finally found grace. And, and, and they're learning to rest in Jesus. And, and they're not following, falling under the judgments of anybody else anymore. It really, it's like watching kids every day where every day is Christmas. Uh, they they found such joy. Well, Philippians is called the 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 epistle or the the letter of joy. And what makes this letter glorious is that Paul is writing about joy while he's suffering. It's incredible, really, because you see those brand new Christians, those who are new to the gospel of grace. The truth is, is that their life is just around the corner from their first obstacles to joy because everybody faces obstacles because you don't have to be a Christian too long before you, you begin to struggle. Now, often that struggle is internal. You're disappointed with yourself. Sometimes that struggles with your family and friends who, who think you're crazy for your newfound zeal in Christ. We see that in India all the time. Sometimes when you come to faith in India, your, 
your whole family rejects you. Sometimes you get kicked out of the house for putting your hope in Christ. That, that's a real obstacle. Other times that struggle comes from within the church. Someone hurts your feelings or, or steps on your toes or, or does something you don't think is right. Or, or it could be about your circumstances. Maybe you've had job trouble. Or maybe you have money trouble, or, or, or maybe it's car trouble. We've always driven old cars. We even prayed for them a lot because they were old and to avoid car trouble. Or, or maybe it's kid trouble. You, at least you get to our age, we have five grown kids. And, well, you, well, you didn't know this was coming, but grown kids are more stressful than teenagers because you got no leverage. If they can pay their own bills, they don't have to listen to anything you say. Or, or maybe you got health problems. Whatever is happening, there are roadblocks everywhere. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was under house arrest in Rome. And he was there for two years. And this loving church in Philippi was one of the only churches that was really committed to him and committed to make sure he was financially stable. And they were concerned about his welfare. So one of the reasons he wrote this letter is to let them know that he's all right and that the Lord is king in Rome as he is in Philippi. And so Paul has given thanks for them in this letter, and he's prayed for them. And so now in verse 12, he turns to the problems he faces, problems that they're all aware about and concerned for. And what we see here is that Paul saw all of his obstacles, he saw all of his struggle, all of his pain through one lens. They were all there to advance the gospel in his life and in the lives of others. And so the question for us, is that how you see your life, beloved? That all your struggles, all your obstacles, all your pain is actually there to bring fame to the name of Jesus and to grow you up in grace. Now, now that's what we're talking about when we talk about the sovereignty of God, now usually most Presbyterians are thinking about the doctrine of election and which comes first, regeneration or faith. Well, that's not the heart of the doctrine of God's sovereignty. The real issue in God's sovereignty is whether our life in Christ has any overall purpose and do our negative circumstances have meaning. You know, when Jesus offers us the abundant life, does it include suffering and obstacles? Or has he simply stepped off his throne for a few days or a few months or a few years? So consider the life of Paul for a moment. Paul was under house, in Rome, in Ro house arrest in Rome. And before that, he spent two years in prison, in jail, in Caesarea. And it all started for Paul back in Jerusalem in Acts 21. He was falsely accused of law-breaking at the temple. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob. He, he ended up in a Roman prison. And although he was in the right and he was being untreated unjustly, he could not get a fair hearing to change his circumstances. He was insulted. He was maliciously lied about. He was kept in prison simply so the ruler could gain favor with the local leaders. He, he was kept in prison hoping for a large bribe. The magistrate was hoping 
for a bribe. And then when he appealed to Caesar and went to Rome, on his way from Caesarea to Rome, he was shipwrecked and his life hung in the balance at sea. And when he finally got to Rome, it was not with fanfare and trumpets. Instead, he arrived chained to the other convicts, along with the condemned, bound together in chains. And then he spent two years there under house arrest, constantly chained to a Roman guard, a member of the, uh, the elite palace guard. He, he slept with those men. He was never alone. And what was his crime? Well, it was faithfulness to the gospel. And why did he go to Jerusalem in the first place where he ran into trouble? Well, he went because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit sent him there to advance the gospel. And what's incredible to me is that as he was warned in every city along the way that he was facing hardship and turmoil, he knew he was going, and yet he went into the lion's den knowing he was facing trouble. He, even Daniel was made to go into the den. Paul went to trouble, because, and he knew it because the Spirit sent him. And, and he even told his Ephesian friends on that day on the beach as they were praying that he would never see them again. So, beloved, here's my question for you. Are you like the farmer looking with disappointment at all your failures? Or are you, and, and looking at your hurts and your struggles with discouragement and wondering why God has let you down? Or are you more like the real estate agent seeing lust pastures and and ample barns that God has built in your life through struggle. Which one are you? I, I remember back in 2010, we'd been in uh, Douglasville for about nine years. The, the church had a large school, and to be honest, I was a little tired of the school. And so Sherry and I were talking about it. Maybe it was a good, good time to jump ship. So... You know, I don't know if you know this, but there's a list online at the PCA, and pastors can look at the list and see if there's an open pulpit. And occasionally you do that just to see what's going on, to see if there's a better offer, right? It's only human nature. So we looked, and there was a, a pulpit open in Charleston, South Carolina, the beautiful city, and Sherry's parents lived there and two of her sisters. And so she says, Jim, I want you to apply for that job. I said, are you sure? And she said, yes. And so I sent in my minister data form. And, and, of course, it was all secret. We didn't tell anybody. And so then I made it through the first hurdle, and they requested some sermons and some other things. And then I got a flush letter out of the blue. They weren't interested anymore. And I called to find out why. And they had listened to some sermons from seven years ago online that they didn't like. And I thought, seven years? They didn't even call to give me an interview to see if I, to see if I could talk my way out of my trouble, and uh, I'm good at talking my way out of trouble. I've been in trouble most of my life, so you learn how to talk your way out of it. And so, flushed down the drain, we were pretty disappointed, and uh, life goes on. So then, about six months later, word got out that 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 uh, that the assistant pastor in that church had been molesting some of the girls in the church and uh, he was arrested and went to prison 
Well, I don't know if you know this about the Douglasville Church, but we'd already been through that when I first got there. The former youth pastor had been caught. He was just finishing seminary, and we'd had to have him arrested and put into prison. So I'd already done this once. It decimates your youth ministry because no mama will send her baby to youth ministry anymore. And so what looked like a roadblock to us, full of disappointment, was actually a bridge that was out. And you see, you don't have the vision in your life to know what's ahead and to see what's coming. And what looked like real discouragement and real disappointment for us, even career, job disappointment, actually was salvation from your life, for our lives. So you see, the roadblock to, are there to, is it there to spoil your plans? Or are your obstacles there to keep you from a bridge that's missing? You see, that's what you don't know. So what perspective are you going to have in those days of trouble? After all that he had been through, Paul says this. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Unless you think he's just a preacher trying to sell good news, he gives two solid examples of how that's so. One is outside the church and one is inside. The first is outside. It's my second point. It's gospel expansion. Look at verse 13 again. He says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see, Paul's under house arrest in Rome, and his chains were somewhat longer than modern handcuffs about well, in India we say a half a meter. Here we say that's a half a yard or 18 inches. One end was connected to his wrist and the other end to the wrist of the guard. It made escape and privacy impossible. He was chained night and day, and yet he was allowed to live in private quarters supplied by his friends for two years. And I'm sure that over those two years, the rotation of the guards included several different uh, several dozen different soldiers. And, and when Paul first arrived in Rome, as the story's told in Acts, he called the leaders of the synagogue to come and, and to discuss the gospel with them. Well, the guards were there. And over his time in prison, he had several helpers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, or to name two of them. Their job was to bring him books and to bring him regular audiences of people to teach and to preach the gospel. Meanwhile, the guards were there. And the guards saw everything, and they heard every word. And over time, they would have known the facts of the gospel from the Old Testament very well. They would have learned that Paul was falsely accused and in chains for the sake of the gospel. They, they would have known that the gospel is built around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In addition, they would have been attracted to Paul's great love for Christ and his love for the lost and his compassion for the sheep. And, and they would have experienced firsthand his, his graciousness and his patience and his wisdom and his deep convictions and his, his faithfulness and his humility. And they would have seen his perseverance and affliction and his deep love for Christ and they would have known also for his great love for them and they would have listened to him pray 
And they would have heard him pray for the Philippians for abounding love and for the Ephesians that they might remember their first love and for the Thessalonians that they might persevere in the midst of great sorrow. And I imagine many of them came to faith over that time and prayed for them. They, they would have learned the gospel and, and, and maybe become leaders in the church because they would have had such great discipleship there with Paul and their, their cups would have overflowed into the lives of all those working in the palace guard and they would have discussed it at home with their wives and their children and with their companions and with all those living in the palace itself. And they would have talked about this strange little man uh, who talks about a Savior named Jesus who has risen from the dead. And so many of them came to faith. That's what the end of Philippians says. Imagine the influence on the empire because of his chains. It, it would be like a modern-day Paul uh, under house arrest near the White House, and his guards are all from the Secret Service. And the rotating guards would hear the gospel and talk about it among their friends and companions and co-workers, and many would be saved. And the talk would go around the White House. Perhaps even the president and his cabinet would hear of Christ. Imagine the large influence of one person committed to the gospel. Here's what Proverbs 16 says. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And that's what Paul's talking about. His imprisonment in Rome gave him access to people he could have never discussed the gospel with before. It expanded the gospel in a way that it would have been impossible without this trial in his life, this trial of chains. Now, here's the question. Who is it that the Lord has placed you near, that, who give, which gives you unique access to discuss the gospel and the goodness of grace. Everybody has unique circumstances in their life. The Lord has put you in a job, in a service, in a community, in a house, in an apartment. He has put you in a unique place to reach people around you with the joy of the gospel of Christ. Who is it? My, my friend Ebenezer Samuel, everybody calls him Ebby. Ebenezer's a mouthful. His mother named him Ebenezer so that he would be faithful to the Lord, and he is. And he's 61 years old. He's been doing ministry for 30 years. In 2006, he left the ministry he was working on because God gave him a, village, a vision to reach 100,000 villages with the gospel in India. In India, 70% of the people, 700 or 800 million people, live, still live in villages. There's over 700,000 of them that, that have no gospel witness. And so Ebby had this vision from the Lord to reach 100,000 villages. The, 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 the strategy goes like this. He would organize and train 20,000 men, and each one of them would be trained over five years. 90% of the world's pastors have less than an hour of theological education. And many of them in India have none. And so he would all, he put them in a five-year program or in a three-year program. And during that time, in order to get their free education, they have made the commitment to do evangelism in five surrounding villages from their village. Five surrounding communities. And they would do evangelism there. In the meantime, they would raise up and train five church planters in five years. 
That's the strategy. And after 12 years, they're averaging about three. That's not too bad, is it? Three church plants per church in, uh, in five years. So right now, they have trained 8,000 men, and they are working in 40,000 villages on their way to the 100,000. Now, I know you're not going to do evangelism in eight surrounding villages, and you may not even do evangelism on five streets in your neighborhood. The question is, can you reach five families? I want you right now to take out your bulletin and write down the names of five families that you're going to begin to pray for and reach for the gospel of Jesus. Please cooperate. Get your bulletin out. Five families. At least get two or three down on paper right now. You may have to think about it to get five. Five families in the Dallas area that you're going to seek to pray for on a daily basis and reach with the gospel. Five families. I'll give you three minutes. I don't know if that comes off of my sermon or that's added to it. In the meantime, we'll dance. All right, you keep writing. I'll keep going. Take those lists home. Don't throw your bulletin away. Put it on the kitchen table and begin to pray for these five families. You'll double the size of this church in two years if you'll faithfully pray for five families and ask God to give you divine appointments to reach them with the gospel. If you'll do that faithfully, he'll answer those prayers and your church will grow. And so will you. Paul reminds me of another great preacher in jail, and, and, and beloved, there have been many. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is John Bunyan. He, he was a popular and powerful preacher in England in the 1600s, and, and, and like the Jews in Jerusalem, hated Paul and had him arrested. So the leaders of the Church of England hated John Bunyan and had him arrested in order to silence him. The irony is, is that now he has a larger audience because, you see, he was, before he was sneaking around from little village church to little village church, those meeting in homes or little buildings, and now that he's been arrested, and he, he, there's no fear anymore, and so he preached boldly to his fellow prisoners and hundreds of the citizens of Bedford, England, where he was, and the surrounding area would come and stand outside the jail to hear him preach the gospel. And uh, he was, so uh, the gospel was expanding, you see. The leaders didn't like that. So Bunyan was warned, and he was cajoled, and he was punished, and he was brought before tribunals in order to stop him. They even offered him his liberty if he would stop preaching the gospel and go back to being a blacksmith. You see, he wasn't even a pastor. He was just a simple blacksmith who loved Jesus. And his response to their offer of freedom was, if you let me out today, I will preach the gospel again tomorrow. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And Bunyan was committed in the same way to the word of Christ. 
So Bunyan was silenced verbally and put in the deepest places of the jail in the dungeons. And, and there he had time to think and, and to read and, and to write. And all he had with him was his Bible and the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now those are great companions if you're stuck in jail. And he was in jail for 12 years and he wrote many pamphlets and, and books. The most famous is Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read this book? Pilgrim's Progress? Many of you have. Millions have read that book and, and come to faith in Christ. Millions more have read it and been cheered by the grace of the gospel. The great, the great uh, British, the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon read that book every year to refresh his soul in the grace of God. You see, beloved, our, our adversaries stalks about like a roaring lion seeking whomever he can devour, but he has no power over us. He has no power over you. God is at work perfecting each one of us for his service, and, and even our trials are, are measured out by God in order to bring fame to the name of Jesus and to grow us in grace. He, even the trials of Job advance the gospel. How, how many more people heard the preaching of John Bunyan because of his 12 years in prison instead of his uh, few years of preaching in a, in a church. Well, millions, millions have heard the gospel because Bunyan was arrested and wrote that book in jail. And that takes us to the third thing I wanted to show you this morning, and that's gospel encouragement, not only for the outside, but for the inside. Look at verse 14, and he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, a Christian in the, Ro in the days of the Roman Empire, uh, in the days of the apostles, faced many obstacles, often with persecution from Jews and from Romans or from both. And this is similar to my friends in India who are often persecuted by the radical Hindu government and the BJP party that wants to silence the gospel. So the arraigning emotion is always fear. Fear of persecution, fear of being shout, shut out from the marketplace, fear for your family, fear of arrest, fear of death. And it sounds strange, but Paul's boldness and courage in, in, the, in the face of death and his arrest, in the midst of his chains, his courage gave courage to others. Because courage is infectious. You see, courage is not the lack of fear. Only crazy people aren't afraid of stuff. Courage is not the lack of fear. Everybody's afraid. Courage is being faithful even when you are afraid. And Paul knew that his chains were for Christ and that the suffering of Christians advances the gospel. And he knew that the church needed encouragement in the midst of trial. And so his chains encouraged me. His chains encouraged my friends in India. Let his chains encourage you to pray for those five friends and to keep those names faithfully before the Lord, even if you're afraid to share the gospel. You see, the worst thing that can happen to any of us is that we would die. And, and Jesus has already won the victory over death. If you die, you'll be with Jesus. You see, Paul's boldness gave courage 
to the brothers. And while he was in prison, Paul wrote what are called the four prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And some of the great illustrations that give us courage are based on the soldiers he saw every day. I love the armor of God passage that's in Ephesians 6. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's read a few verses there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 8, we'll start in. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, 2 Timothy 2, 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I love that verse. He's bound but God's word is never bound, beloved. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Paul knew, you see, that as an apostle, everything that happened to him was for the good of the church and for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. But he also knew that he's not alone in that privilege. He's inviting Timothy and inviting us into that privilege because everything that happens to any of God's children serves the sovereign advance of God's kingdom. And he wants us to see through those kind of eyes, beloved, to realize that our trouble, our struggle, our obstacles are there for not only our own sanctification, but that God is working his kingdom out through us and in us. It's, it's, it's really an amazing thing, incredible, that God is working out the details that, that way. And, and so Paul invites Timothy here to suffer with him for the cause of the gospel. Everybody's going to suffer. Are you going to suffer for discouragement or are you going to suffer for the sake of the gospel? That's the question. And for believers, God is always working in us. That's his promise. And so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. What an incredible promise. The sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives so that his comfort will overflow into the lives of others. And that right there is the advancement of the gospel. You don't have to be a missionary for God to work in you. He works in you wherever you are, every day. Even your struggles have a purpose. That's so good, isn't it? Now, it's good, but there's bad news, beloved. Here's the bad news. The bad news is, is that if you constantly question the obstacles and hardships in your life, if you see every roadblock as a barrier to your own plans and personal satisfaction, if, if every struggle is a threat to your happiness, well, then you're going to live in discouragement and fear and struggle's gonna breed more struggle. And for some people, that hardship will lead to the practical denial of God's grace. 
I've seen it happen in a number of times. And you'll give up on God. And, and that's bad. Don't do that. And, and Paul says, if you deny him, God will deny you. And that's really bad. But there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Paul says here in this passage that we just read that even when we are faithless, then God is still faithful. Isn't that amazing? Even though I'm churning with doubts and I'm questioning his goodness and wondering about his love, he doesn't let go of me. He's like a parent holding a two-year-old. You know, the two-year-old thinks they're holding on. We all know better. A parent is holding that two-year-old. And, and he holds on when I have no strength to hold on. You see, Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of doubting his goodness in the midst of struggle. And, and he rose from the dead to give us a new life, a life with this promise that everything that happens to me serves in his advancement for the gospel. That's his promise to you. That everything that happens, happens for a purpose. And he promises a life where his faithfulness turns my faithlessness into fruitful gospel living. And so this morning I invite you to trust in him. Some of you maybe for the first time, all of you, all of us, needing to be renewed in our trust in his goodness. You know, Paul suffered greatly for the gospel, more than you and I ever will, perhaps, yet he never lost hope. And, and you know why? Because he never lost sight of the heavenly vision that he received on the road to Damascus when God called, a, called him to Christ and changed him, where he met the, the resurrected and reigning Jesus, and he was changed. Paul never lost sight of that vision, of that calling. Now, was it easy? And the answer is no. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. But listen to this. He said, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. That's a purpose in suffering and struggle, is that we might learn to rely on God instead of ourselves. And as we learn that lesson, beloved, he uses us not only to comfort others, but he uses it to advance the gospel. It was never easy for Paul, but it was good. And it was fruitful for the kingdom, a life of gospel purpose. So, beloved, the pastures are lush, and the barn is full, and the, bond, the pond is, well, it's full of big old fish. And the view, well, beloved, the view is incredible, and the Father has invited us to eat in his house. You see, I want you to know that what has happened to me, that what's happening to your interim pastor, Mike, that what's happening to you is really there to serve the advancement of the gospel and bring fame to the name of Jesus. Will you believe it? I hope so. For that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father, we love you this morning and we...
offer you small measure of praise as we're able. We're thanking you for the gospel, the richness of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to us again. And thank you for a reminder from the Apostle Paul that everything that happens to us, for good or for ill, is there for not only our own sanctification, but to encourage others and to bring the gospel to bear on the people around us. I pray for these folks, Lord, and for the Whittle family, that as we pray for these five families, I pray for faithfulness on on our part to, to pray for these five and then to seek them out in due season to share a word of grace with them. And as, as we do, Lord, would you encourage us by bringing some of them to faith in Christ Jesus? And uh, we, we, we'll say with Paul that what has happened to me has happened to serve the advancement of the gospel, and we'll rejoice in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,